It's time for Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. This new show discusses trends, technology, and tactics to help the listener learn more about improving sales, saving money, and fulfilling a personal mission through entrepreneurship. Today, we'll interview Matt Brueggemann with J. Galt Finance Suite to learn why building a foundation for commercial credit is a better long-term plan than floating your personal assets to grow your business. Welcome to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Mark Mondo. We're on the air in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you can listen to us streaming on the website at wvlp.org or use the TuneIn app on your mobile device and look for WVLP. 103.1 FM WVLP is a local nonprofit radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. This show, like many of the shows on WVLP, are made possible by the generosity of donors and underwriters. We accept donations at WVLP.org. Simply click on the support tab and make a one-time donation or sustained pledge to WVLP. All donations are tax deductible. Underwriters are made up of businesses and organizations that support the shows on WVLP. Getting down to business with Mark Mondo would like to thank Holmes by Hortensia, a Coldwell Banker affiliate in Porter County, Indiana, for their support. Homes by Hortensia has served the region's residential real estate needs in Indiana for over 12 years. Contact Hortensia Moreno or Tiffany Zorio at 219-249-5118 or visit homesbyhortensia.com. Homes by Hortensia, habla espanol. Welcome to the show. In case you're a new listener, here's my backstory, and I'm sticking to it. I've been a consultant for small businesses for the last 25 years, helping small businesses implement customer relationship management software, aka a CRM system, where I learn their business processes and match them with the right software to help them gain an advantage in sales, marketing, or customer service. There is much more to becoming a success in business than just having a good CRM system. That's why I bring on guests to tell their stories and share tips on either technology, tactics, or trends they use to become successful. Joining us today on the radio show is Matthew Brueggemann, a man of unique talents when he's not helping people with commercial credit. From growing up as a pastor's kid, Matthew ventured into the world of Olympic-style weightlifting in his early 20s in competitions throughout Chicago. He then transitioned into the automotive industry, where he not only sold vehicles and managed car dealerships, but also recognized a significant gap in business lending for company cars. Seeing a gap in the marketplace, Matthew then joined Jay Galt to help companies beyond the car dealership industry. In addition to his business acumen, He's a passionate piano teacher, and his musical journey began as an opera singer when he was 11, as a boy soprano, performing in the U.S. and England. So let's hang out with Matthew and learn more about commercial credit together. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Didn't expect that when I hung out with you at the uh, local Lake County Chamber (laughs) Circuit. You know, you're a tall guy, and I'm like, oh, he's a tall guy. He played basketball. You know, that's the stereotype. 
But mm-hmm. you wound up doing a few other things here that surprised me today. So what we're going to do, instead of talking about Olympic weightlifting, which I really don't know much about, and I don't think that's what we're going to discuss today in, in, in a business show, let's talk about commercial credit. As we discuss commercial credit, I have to admit it, I'm perplexed at best, cynical at the worst. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain, Mark Twain once said, a banker is a fellow who lends you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but wants it back the minute it begins to rain. <laughs> That's not a bad explanation of it, actually. I haven't heard that one before. Well, you know what? I believe him. Um, we used to have a saying in the car industry, is loans are the easiest to get for those who don't need them. Well, because I assume you guys really stuck it to them on the interest rates and so forth. Well, it, frankly, it mostly isn't the dealerships sticking it to them with the rates. The dealerships have to take the rate that's given to them. And, you know, whether or not the right, they're not the, they're up, not the actual financier. Right, I apologize right. for, for, for ripping on car dealers. No, 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 no. They earn it most of the time. And there is money to be made in the financing for a dealership, but it is very heavily regulated as far as how much and what they can do. There are certain loans, especially in the subprime market, where they're really not allowed to even kind of touch the profits that the bank makes. So wow. it's a it's a very complicated process. And rather like business credit, it's complicated enough that most people are frustrated with it, but have no clue how to uh, do anything about it. Well, fair enough. So when I was in dire straits during the Great Recession of 2008, that happened to me. And I looked up some stats that happened to other people. I, I got crushed. So in October 2008, Congress passed the TARP bill, something asset repurchase protection, blah, blah, blah. But here's some quick stats. $67.8 billion, with the B, to bail out AIG. Eighty point mm-hmm. seven B with a billion or billion is B mm-hmm. uh, to bail out the big three automakers. Twenty billion to the Federal Reserve to help banks to continue to offer credit, and seventy five B billion to help homeowners refinance their homes. Of right. that seventy five B to help homeowners, I definitely wasn't one of one of them. My personal story was despite filling out the papers. And following the rules, the eventual offer was bogus and awful at best. So in the meantime, I was throwing money on what's called a dumpster fire in my sinking real estate asset. And the banks eventually beat me by 2011, and they got what they wanted. And when I was doing this research last night, it really fired me up. Not such a great manner. And it really changed my politics and my perspective of the American Mm -hmm. economic system. So now I'm going from a journey from cynical to perplexed. Mm -hmm. I'm really setting up Matt here for a great afternoon. In 2020, you know, we all had COVID or the -hmm. the country went through the pandemic. My company was offered a significant amount of money under the SBA's EIDL program, which stands for Economic Industry Disaster Loan. My personal credit and business were stable And I stashed a lot of fear into savings out of the fear of 2008 ever happening again to me in the business. Mm -hmm. I took them up because the interest rate was dirt cheap and it wasn't terribly difficult to obtain the money. 
Moreover, one of my colleagues that worked in the U.S. SBDC, the Small Business Development Center, told me in no uncertain words, take it. Don't ask any more questions. Fine. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm paraphrasing this, paraphrasing this for comedic effect. I, I definitely got to state that I was quite nervous having that much credit over my head. Even if it was only used for dry powder, I, I was very fortunate. I didn't need it at the time. So I took it as dry mm -hmm. powder and the interest was so cheap. So in essence, this time around, the government kind of bailed me out when I didn't need it. So was Mark, was mm -hmm. Mark Twain right? <laughs> so what I would say in this answer, bankers are, are bad enough. And then you get the government involved with it. And it's a match not made in heaven. I'm not saying it's hell, but it's one of the two and it wasn't heaven. So one thing that you, you have to remember even more is the banks in 2008 were acting in a way that reacted to something the government forced on them in the 90s. Uh, and so that I'm was, yeah. yes, it was, I, I don't quote me on this. I don't know if it was the equal opportunity in lending, but no, I think that was something different. But it was a bill that I believe the Clinton administration passed that basically forced banks to take on a certain percentage of known bad debt. And the thing about bad debt is, is that you can show all of the possible interest that you'll make on that bad debt, but it's yep. up to the people that you lend it to to pay it back. So what the banks did is they said, okay, we're going to take these lemons and make it into a bit of lemonade. And then it turned out to be awfully sweet. And then they kept drinking and kept drinking and kept drinking until it finally caught up with them in 2008. After that train had spiraled so far out of control, it could do nothing but crash and burn. And then when you want to talk about personally guaranteeing something, and you think about Freddie May, <laughs> all those guys, they had the American taxpayer as their personal guarantor. And even worse, they took that guarantee, they took that money. And they did not use it to resecure these loans. They didn't use it to actually do what would have made sense for the American people, which is actually help them with their mortgage. They went and partied some more with it. And oh it, it's, a, it's an absolute crying shame. But I don't know of too many government programs, ill intention or good intention, that ever did what they said they were going to do, let alone really help the situation. So I hear so, you. So from from the outside world, mm -hmm. let's look at somebody else that it only got maybe at best twelve hundred bucks in stimulus checks, and then they look at me and go, "You had it easy." Mm -hmm. And then you look at the news that bit the headlines, like Tom Brady got a gazillion dollars in PPP. And yep. I didn't like the LA Lakers get money and you, know, you get, you had all these stories. Yeah. And I think uh, if I remember correctly, a pot belly sandwiches made out like a bandit for a while. Uh, all right. So after my cynical and perplexed view of banking, car dealerships, credit cards, credit scores, all this mumbo jumbo, I want to come up with a healthier relationship with commercial credit. I believe my audience can learn a lot more. So I'm going to turn to the experts here like Matt. So why develop a relationship with commercial credit 
and what's the angle? And again, I want to distinguish this between commercial credit and personal credit. Everybody else mm-hmm. in the world talks about personal credit, the Dave Ramseys of the world and mm-hmm. any, you know, Susie Orman, financial planner people that that's a whole nother class. That's not my expertise or that's not really right. what we're here about. So I'm going to turn it over to Matthew and he's going to talk about the philosophy for now. And then eventually we're going to get into the mechanics. Perfect. Perfect. So really, you know, your biggest philosophy shift is a shift in your in your perspective of what a business is. Because, you know, when you get the one and only exciting and happy letter from the IRS, which contains your ERN. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Happy what? Happy and exciting letter from the IRS. It means right. you have a business now, you've got your I you've you've got your EIN, you're in business, right? That's that's the one good letter you're going to receive from the IRS in your life. <laughs> and that day, Uncle Ian is born. That's your EIN numbers. It's represented by that social security or that that employment identification number. And it's a living and breathing, basically fake individual, right? Corporations and that entity, are, corporations are people too, my friend. Well, sure. <clears throat> <laughs> And they have an EIN rather than social. So understanding that that a business is separate from a person, now you're now you're separating these two things. Because if a business can make decisions and a business can make financial decisions, a business can also make credit decisions, right? But the reasons that a business makes credit decisions versus the reason a person makes personal credit decisions are completely different. When you're buying something as an individual on credit, you're basically saying to the bank, I'm good for the money. I would like something that I can't immediately afford and I will pay you back over time. And I'm even willing to pay you a little bit extra to have it now. Right. Mm -hmm. You could do a reverse credit where you save up a certain amount, and then when you have the cash to purchase that asset, you can purchase it, right? That's basically the same. You're making payments towards something. The difference is, is that it's you have it now versus have it later, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the Dave Ramseys of the world and you talk about the understanding of not over-leveraging yourself, what you're talking about is living less than you earn. That's really the whole point. And if you do that, it's a snowball effect. That's good. Businesses make credit decisions for completely different reasons. They're looking at it saying, I have an idea that's going to make money. This idea needs a certain amount of money in order to run. And then that running is now going to make even more money. So it's not a, I'm going to buy something I can't afford now. It's, I'm going to invest something into this entity that is going to then return more than I have invested. Right. That's the whole like idea. Like a pizza of- oven. Like uh, that was from our accounting class. We bought a pizza oven. You know, most mm-hmm. people want to make good pizzas, but I don't know what a pizza oven costs now. $50,000. That's a nice pizza oven. Most people don't want to leverage $50,000 of their personal money right away. So sure. how well, does that and, work with this? And how do you invest business money into something that doesn't exist yet, that hasn't making anything? Well, that's where you get investment. That's where you get someone says, okay, I see this $50,000 pizza and I see that it's going to make $34 pizzas 
at a rate of, you know, two pizzas every three hours for six days a week. And my investment is going to such, such, and such. It's going to be paid off at this amount of time. And then it's going to continue making profit, right? Mm -hmm. That's how that, I mean, that's how that works. So when you look at a business and you invest in it, you're investing in something that is going to make you money. So the answer is, is that the better the idea and the better the company, the more money you give it, the more money it's going to make, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where you start seeing the difference in business credit versus personal credit. Now, here's the trick. It's all about risk. Risk, risk, risk. How good of an idea is it? How much do I believe that this idea is going to work? And how much do I believe that the business owner himself is going to make it work, right? This is where we start getting soft assets, hard assets, and really what is an entrepreneurial's life at birth? Because they're looking at it from a perspective of you're not just investing in the business, you're investing in me. Okay, completely understand. You're getting something off the ground. You're either bringing on a partner, you're either bootstrapping it with your own capital, or you're personally guaranteeing any loans, like for instance, SBA or something like that, institutions designed to give people who have a good idea a shot, right? Mm -hmm. Great. So now you've gotten the ball off the ground, you've gotten some money. What do you do with it? How do you make it work? That's where your business plan comes in. You start working on it. But there's thousands of fake companies for every real company. Wait, what do you so mean by now, a fake company? What's a fake company as opposed to the real deal? Sure. The PPP loans you mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. One of the things that people were doing right and left were inventing companies, creating companies real quick, and applying for PPP loans and getting them and then not paying them off. And it was an entire fraud thing. These chickens are coming home to roost. They're actually being found and prosecuted. But there were a whole bunch of fake companies literally siphoning money off of the government. I knew of one guy who had opened like 20 of these at 10 grand a person. And he was like using his friends and, and everyone as, as agents for these basically shell corporations, <laughs> qualifying them for these PPP loans and walking away with the cash. He walked away with a couple hundred grand. He's in jail now. But oh, that's interesting. That. The long arm of the law, the long arm of the law <laughs> got, got him, huh? <laughs> right. But now imagine private institutions being burned like that. Well, burned once, shame on me, or shame on you. Burnt twice, shame on me, right? So banks get really, really choosy about who they lend to. And so you have a whole bunch of identifiers, in fact, 100 plus data points that a bank is going to check an existing company before they're even going to consider them for a loan. What, you, isn't it just like, I thought you just can walk into a bank, shake the guy's hand and say, I have some money now? So I take it you've never gotten a business loan before. <laughs> I've, I, like I said at the opening credits, I, I, I have the EIDL. Mm -hmm. and that's all I've, I, everything else has been uh, bootstrapped. Okay. And so some the credit first cards, thing, some credit cards the, and some the, personal loans from friends. Okay. The first, the first thing that, that a bank is usually going to ask someone is, is what's your last three years of financials? So then all of a sudden you've got Mr. Business Owner jumping through every hoop from here to Sunday 
trying to prove that he's real because they're sending red flags to banks that they don't realize that they're sending. And I'll give you an instance. I was helping a young man who's starting his insurance firm. It's three months old, and he didn't realize that he was sending four different addresses to any business application that he sent just because he was kind of in flux as to his business address. He ended up getting, uh, he ended up starting with one and then moving to another. And so through this process, he was also incorporating getting licenses, getting all of the things in place that he needed to do business. And as he changed addresses, he was changing the registration addresses on. So by the time he was done, the IRS had business license, had another address, <laughs> a different address. And no one in, in the business world caught it because they had no reason to, except if he were to go to the bank to try and get a loan, the first thing they're going to notice is, hey, where do you actually exist and do business? Because we got like four or five different places. I have a fellow who runs a doctor's office. He's got 10 different offices. And then he realized that the vendors he was using had three different names uh, for his company. And they were all using different names in their reporting mechanisms. And then he realized that half of his paperwork issues were just because things weren't clean and exact and done. I remember getting contracts kicked at the dealership mm -hmm. if the IRS had a comma between the business name and ink and the business application didn't have a comma. Sure. So, so do you think it's kind of a broken system or a broken person? I think it's a broken education. And then no one is out there actively saying, we got to fix this. At least no one till Jay Galt. Okay. So one of the first things that we do with the business is we overhaul all of the identifiers that the business has and make sure that they're congruent so that when you go in for an application, everywhere a bank is going to check you to make sure that you're legitimate, you show that you are in fact legitimate. That's the reason that we that a big part of what we do what we do and and is it the game's fault? Well, not really because these well, identifiers. I, I, I'd be a little nervous if I'm going to be loaning a business or a person, and this guy's got like exactly. five, five uh, safe houses or something. Right, <laughs> right, and and that's that's the other thing is is that you know who assumes the risk? Well, the answer is is that no one wants to assume risk. Is that going so back to Mark Twain? Is that going back to Mark Twain? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's it's it, you think about it, it's easy to lend an umbrella when you don't need it yourself. But when it's raining, everyone needs their umbrella. So naturally, you want it back. Yeah. So when you take a look at this game and you ask yourself, you know, why does it have to be this way? Well, there's checks and balances. There's a whole bunch of threads, strings, and tentacles that come in that... You know, we're sitting here with a lot of our institutions going to change them. You know, do we change them incrementally? Do we burn them around? Do we come up with a new system? There's a lot of these questions being asked. So the question I have is, in the meantime, let's learn to be a spider and crawl this web. Let's figure out how to get through this. Before we get into the next segment, we wanted to let you know you're listening to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM, a community radio station out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Thanks for listening, and let's continue. Which brings me to the mechanics. 
So when you look at a personal credit score, you're typically scored between 450 and 850. These scores include how long you've had credit, the kinds of loans that you have, how you've paid them, how much debt you're using versus how much income you're making. And are you late or have you defaulted on anything, right? And there's yeah, this personal huge, judgments or default judgments. Yeah, exactly. There's this huge algorithm that these guys use. No one really knows how it works. I wonder if they know how it works. But essentially, they weigh all of these things and they score you. And they're usually pretty accurate because the people who have trouble with money tend to keep having trouble with money. Now, here's the other problem. It doesn't help. When you get into subprime lending, you see these folks, especially in the automotive industry, it was particularly bad because you need transportation to get to your job. Or you can't make money. Right. But your transportation costs you twice what it costs the next guy because you can't manage your money. Well, what's one of the reasons you can't manage your money? Well, because you don't have your money. Well, how do you get money? Well, you got to get to your job. Well, how do you get to your job? Well, you need a car. We need to manage money in order to show that you can buy a car. So it's this, again, it's this, no one wants to assume the risk and it's, it's brutal. So the question is, how do you get out of a bad credit debt toilet bowl is what I like to call it. Well, the, the answer is you do pretty much exactly what Dave Ramsey does, which is. And for those who don't know Dave Ramsey, I. Mm -hmm. I learned about him the hard way. And that's another story for another episode of how I learned about yeah. Dave Ramsey. But for those who don't know, I'll be very, and you can fill me in if I'm wrong on some of the gaps here. He essentially says, look, you put your thousand dollars to you first. Mm -hmm. Nobody else gets their thousand bucks. That's your emergency. Like I call it the tow truck fund. Yep. Then you attack that's with the smallest dollar amount first rather than the highest interest. Mm -hmm. Then three months put away, and I can't yep. remember the rest. It's three months operating capital. But mm -hmm. the point, the point that Dave Ramsey, and I, I would not to go too much back to the philosophy, but the whole purpose behind Dave Ramsey is you want to get yourself to a point that when life happens, because it does, you're not making a choice of what bills to pay. You're making the choice of how do I get back into a position where I can continue to save and pay off debt. So th the point is, is that instead of stumbling and then missing the train, you're just not as early for the train, but you at least still get on the train. And that's, that's really the philosophy that you want to have in mind for personal credit. Otherwise. Is it the same? Is it the same in business? Yes and no. Because in business, it's about risk and liability. So going through business, it's not scored at 450 to 850. It's scored at zero to 100. Okay. So how does business credit score? Well, the biggest thing in personal credit is debt to income, 30% or 100, right? That's kind of your optimum debt to income. 
In business, it's 80% or more. Otherwise, they won't give you more business credit. Why is that? Well, because if you're not using it, you don't need it. Because businesses spend money to make money. That's not how you get out of personal credit card debt. But that is how you grow a company. You invest in your marketing. You invest in your processes. You invest in these things. You spend that money because the business is going to, in turn, reward you with increased revenue and profits. That's that's the whole point and purpose of business credit. So when you work in those philosophies, those mindsets, those points and purposes, you start working towards an understanding of, I need to be streamlining business debt. How do I do it? Well, when you're an unknown risk as a company, the first answer is a personal guarantee. When it's big money and you're in a company, it's personal guarantee and secured with personal assets. When it's really big money, they kind of laugh at you and tell you to go away. Fair enough. That's where we come in. Once you fix the credibility, now all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're you. Okay. Here's the next point. 93% around there, 90, yeah, around 93, 94, 92, somewhere around there of business lenders and vendors do not report to any of the business credit bureaus. So you got a you got a 90 plus percent chance that the vendors that you're currently working with don't report to anyone, which means that you might have a great relationship with them, but the world has no clue that relationship exists. Well, how do you display good credit is good payment history. If you're paying your guys on time and they're not telling anyone about it, you, you have no way of doing it. Now, if you don't pay them, they'll pay to go have it reported. Yes. But the key word is pay to have it reported. It costs lenders and vendors money to report to business credit bureaus. Unlike private lending. So why would they do it unless it captures them business as part of their marketing or they're big enough that the business owner of that vendor and lender decides that that's a good idea to do it, right? That's where we come in. We have a technology platform that's compiled lists of all of our known vendors that report to business credit bureaus. And we say, okay, we're not going to charge you anything to be listed on our platform. We're not going to take any money from these lenders and vendors, but you are going to need to let us know what you need in order to qualify a business for the credit product that you're offering, right? So if they say, I need you to be incorporated for three years, I need you to have such and such amount of revenue, and I need you to have such and such a score or better, we know. Okay, great. So now we come back to our client, the business, saying, hey, we've got you fungible. We know this is the end goal you need. Here's the strategy on how to get accounts reporting so that you can display the type of business credit that you need in order to qualify for these loans, right? That's kind of uh, our secret sauce, our proprietary information that we share with our clients. Keyword is our clients. We're not a bank, we're not a lender or a vendor, which means that we're actually in the best interest of the business. I'm not on the bank side. Your journey is taken to the consultative exactly. side, not necessarily the guy with the uh, vault. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. If if I don't have to hand out umbrellas, then I don't have to decide what kind of umbrella you have. I can just tell you where to get them mm-hmm. and then help you get there. And that's really kind of our white glove idea of really, really helping small businesses. So I know it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit convoluted because the system is a little convoluted. Again, you're walking a spider web, but your basic and general ideas are that you want to make sure that you're credible, you are who you say you are, and you want to display that you're cash flowing, that you have money that you are properly allocating and paying on time. Otherwise, you start sending red flags. You shouldn't be running your accounting system on a back of a napkin or, you know, do you have... (laughs) And or, it, believe it or not, it has less to do with accounting and it has more to do with, do you have any lenders currently and do you pay them on time or early? And if they pop up your Dun & Bradstreet profile or your Experian or your Equifax profile, which are the big three in the business credit world, and they see, in fact, you have multiple lines that you are paying successfully earlier on time, what goes down? your risk factor, right? you start looking like a better and better risk. The better of a risk you are, the more willing the banks are to assume more of the liability, right? Right. That's... So, you were kind of talking in the pre-production meeting about, you know, how, when you talk about fraudulence or red flags issues, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is, this, is this kind of on the rant about how somebody set up fake companies or what, what, what is anti-fraud in your, if I was applying for business business lending world? Sure. This is a fun one actually, because the other thing to remember is the movie stereotype of bankers being very, very old kind of stodgy fellow who, you know, hasn't gotten any proper ventilation in 20 years Mm -hmm. is actually also true about their, some of their fraud identifiers. So do you remember 411 directory? Yes. Yes. You probably used it to look for a blockbuster, right? Sure. Right. Yeah. Business lenders will oftentimes turn prospective applicants down because they're not listed on 411 directory. The old school would be yellow pages, right? Yeah. 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 It, it's essentially they what they did is they moved the database into the cyberspace. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost anything to be listed on there, but you got, you know, I'm a 30 something year old. Right, right. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to my age or younger that have no idea what four and one is, or like they heard about it in a children's book. You know, so it's it's so what's the four one one for businesses? As I thought it was done in Bradstreet for, for for those in the audience no. who are under thirty trying to start a business. What's the uh, right. the new yellow pages? What do the businesses use now? Well, businesses use Google. You know, when you're looking for a, a business listing, right? It's you you Google the business. I mean, that's really the new yellow pages. But the the directory is relevant to no one but the banks. Again, they haven't seen ventilation in 20 years. Okay. So if you're not listed on that directory, you're potentially sending them red flags. Now, the other on the other token to be the devil's advocate. If I'm a bank and I'm looking at businesses and I'm saying, are these guys legitimate or not? Well, if someone's taken the time to be listed on the 411 directory and actually posted a business address, et cetera, et cetera, they're probably legitimate 
because most of these guys that produce these shell companies or or are trying to commit EIN fraud, well, they're 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 not going to take the time to to list themselves on that kind of thing because it does take time. So, I mean, that's one of the red flags. That's one of the things. Dun and Bradstreet can be very useful. Well, I shouldn't say very useful. It's essential as a business credit bureau. But if you do any work with governments or anything like that, and you're not listed on Dun & Bradstreet, then I don't believe they'll let you work with them at all. There may be some special circumstances. There may be some things that I'm not sure of. But in the in the main sphere, you have to be on Dun & Bradstreet if you're going to do business with the U.S. government. Okay, um, yeah, because that would be for other audiences. Per, in my experience, I've not I've only dealt with a handful of government agencies, a couple schools. Yeah, yep. in yep. in twenty five years, so it has not been an issue. But mm-hmm. but this is about not about educating me; it's about educating our audience. So sure, sure. And you know the the reality is the three business credit bureaus you have you have to actually register with, and you have to make sure that your vendors are reporting to them because you need that payment history. A, a huge percentage of your business credit profile is payment history. Mm-hmm. Now, on the on the flip side, if you do happen to pay a vendor late and they report a late payment, it takes much less time to fix that on the business side than it does on the personal side. But obviously, if you want to get to kind of that top tier of lending status, that's what you need. And in moving through that, not only do you need a number of accounts reporting, but you need a variance of accounts. You need a depth of profile as you move into kind of that real prime lending space. And, and really, when we say prime, you could really call it a corporate lending space. So when we talk about depth profile, probably ideally, you're going to want 12 to 15 active reporting vendor accounts for a legitimate business. Mm-hmm. But they can't all be net 15 accounts. So you start with kind of your more basic accounts. And, and a net 15, a net 30, all that means is I'm going to supply you with the goods that you're requesting, and then I'm going to invoice you. And you have that term, that 15, that 30 days, or pay that invoice, you know, without incurring late charges, late fees, and or a late payment listing on your credit bureau. Okay, fine. Well, that's where you start. That's not where you stop. You're going to want to start adding revolving accounts. You're going to want to start looking at different store cards, store accounts, um, and then true corporate accounts. So for instance, a lot of people don't realize there's a difference between Home Depot business and Home Depot corporate. Okay. The Home Depot business account does not report to any of the credit bureaus, but the Home Depot corporate account does. It's not that hard to qualify for a corporate account with Home Depot if you've done your fundability foundation, if you've started to get some of those basic things, you start moving into what we call kind of a tier two and then eventually tier three counts. These are, again, they're more generous rates and terms, and you're able to really start having your EIN or Uncle Ian really start standing on his own two financial feet. And that's really, that's really what you want. Because as he starts to look less like an 18-year-old trying to buy his first car and needing daddy as his co-signer, a.k.a. the business owner, mm-hmm. then he can start you know, looking less at Hyundais and more at Mercedes-Benz. 
So like aspects, aspects of good business credit are those depths. And I would call it a depth and diversity of credit and cash flow. Because it's, it's now showing that not only are you a legitimate company on paper, you're a legitimate company on paper that knows what it's doing. And that's really when doors start opening. One of the big doors, and this is something for you business owners who are actually doing pretty well for yourself. You're looking at it saying, hey, I'm, I've got cash in the bank. I don't really need credit. I'm doing pretty well. You guys in the trades, a lot of them, I see they have slush funds. They have, you know, they have a business line. That's great. Usually it's like 9, 10, 11, 12%. Okay, fine. That works. But corporate rates can be as low as 1% to 5%. Wait, hold on a sec. So if instead of a, I've got a revolving line like at my local national bank, like a Chase sure. or a JP Morgan or whatever, City mm-hmm. Bank. Yeah. Or, so they're going. Chase is yeah. not a national bank. Oh, I don't know. They're oh, they're oh, sorry. They grew the world. I keep forgetting. So, and you think that's not so bad, you know, at at the twelve rate. So at one Mm -hmm. to five, that's like lower than prime. Yeah, true corporate rates. Now you know where the big boys play. So let me ask you this: If you're taking out a car loan on a hundred thousand dollar car, and you're borrowing it at twelve percent. I'm already getting creamed. <laughs> you're paying over a thousand dollars a month to start an interest, but let's take it at five percent. Now you're paying like 120, 150, somewhere around there. I I know my my mental math is fuzzier these days than it used to be. You're paying drastically less in interest because it's compounding. But you know? that and, could be and, used for. Could that be used for, let's say I'm in the trades and I need to get a commercial van? Sure. Absolutely. As opposed you, to a bank's line of credit to pay for the right. van, because the van's always going to make you a job, make you money. You know, when you go out to mm-hmm. a job, it's capital equipment. Absolutely. And I, I watched a lot of business owners come in and buy company cars. And a lot of them got really frustrated because you'd sit there, you'd put in a business application. Obviously, to start, they're not interested in personally guaranteeing the vehicle. And you throw it in, and then the dealership has absolutely no setup for business credit. So we can't run a bureau on someone before, or a bureau on a business, you know, before we send an application in. So you just fill out the application, you slip it into the black box, which is the bank, and then you sit there and wait for an answer. It can take, I've seen it take four to six hours. It drives you nuts. Because every one of them has to be looked at individually. And 90% of the time, your your buyer on the other end can't find a business credit profile for your company. So they're sitting there trying to manually figure out who Joe Schmo Plumbing is. And then there's a broken mm -hmm. system, even if Joe the plumber, so to speak, has a good credit, but nobody, it sounds like, nobody knows about him anyway, or he doesn't have the proof. He's guilty until proven innocent. Well, he is guilty until reported. Until, and that's yeah. until, he's, until his reporting actually catches up to the business that he's doing. And that aspect of the system is broken. But remember, again, these lenders and vendors that he is working with 
have no financial incentive to be reporting his payment history to business credit bureaus because it costs them money. But over 80% of small business owners have never looked up their business credit score at all. It's just somewhere out in the ether and I've paid my guys on time, so it ought to be good, right? I got a business credit card. Well, I got news for you. That business credit card is pretty much a personal credit card with your business name on it because you're guaranteeing everything and its credit limit, unless you're really cooking at multi-millions a year, is more based on your personal buying power than it is the company's revenue or even the company's lending needs. So, yeah, I wound up, uh, yeah, we, you know, before we met a couple months ago, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like getting your fortune told. So I'll, I guess I'll share my personal yeah. story here. So like, well, I've been in business for, you know, as we heard in the opening segment, 25 years. I had some troubles, obviously, during the 2008 recession, but I rebuilt my personal credit after the recession. And the business didn't have any issues paying things back. Mm-hmm. I did have a company credit card that got in trouble, but that was axed. That was you know resolved. But yeah, so let's just say since 2011, I've never had mm-hmm. no vendors have been paid late. But I only had, so I have subcontractors. Uh, they're always paid on time. We we don't really have too many issues paying my subs. I have a corporate credit card. And, you know, I got you have a business much. credit card. That is correct. Yes. It's under my EIN. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to my person, my social security or something like that. Well, so, did you put in your social security in order to get that credit card? Well, that's too many questions. I don't remember. It's been so many years. <laughs> I would be willing to bet you a substantial sum of money that your social security was somewhere in that application. And I will there, not take you on that bet because someone here is the mm-hmm. expert and that's not me. <laughs> I so, had, I've, I've had a few people look at me and say, oh, no, it's in the business name. And I say, call them and ask. And then they find out, oh, my gosh, I'm personally on the hook for this card. And it makes them think twice before they use it. Because what happens if something happens to their business tomorrow? especially, especially if they're really using a business credit card the way it ought to be used. If you have 200 grand on a business credit card and you liquidate your business and it's not all paid off, well, you're paying that off. And that's no fun. Yeah, I can only tell you, it, and I'm still not taking you on the bet, when I run mm-hmm. my my, exper- my personal experience and so forth, that, Probably card, not reporting. that card does not show up at all. Mm-hmm. And that's and and that's kind of the double whammy because you're paying it faithfully, and it's not even giving you good payment history on your personal side. I, you know, maybe we go back to that bullet point: is the system now, broken? You want to know the linchpin? What's the interest rate on that credit card? Oh, if I miss a payment, interest rate work usury rates usury. Yeah, the usury laws I think would take place. Usury, yeah. Well, yeah, but. but it's probably 19 to 28%, right? Oh, yeah. They'll cream you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So guess what a, per, what a, what a corporate card Like is. a true corporate card? Mm-hmm. Through Citibank or you know, one of the majors? No. Well, not through the majors. True corporate card, irrespective to the lender. Oh, based on what you've been saying so far, let's say six points. Yeah, six to eight. You nailed it. Revolving. And that's 
typically after an introductory 0% period for, mm -hmm. I don't know, three to 18 months. Right. So, you know, when you start talking about profit and you start talking about ways to increase your bottom line, I, the first thing I'd tell someone is reduce the cost of your money. Because if you can do that, you're starting to get to the promised land. So, again, business credit is scored from zero to 100. When you hit 80 with a good, diverse portfolio under you, you're kind of at that 720 FICO mark, right? They start mm -hmm. not asking questions. They start not asking for pay stubs, proof of residence, all that stuff anymore, right? You get to 90 plus on the business side and you're like an 800, you're gold bond. You walk in and you don't ask if you can get the loan, you ask what your best rate is. Because if the, if the dealership doesn't give you the rate you want, you can call a lender and they'll, they'll shop you from here to kingdom come to make sure that you're getting the absolute best rate possible. So it's right? kind of like that, right, right this way, Mr. Brueggemann, or right this way, Mr. Mond. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that's the way that you want to be treated. And then all of a sudden, when you have that stellar credit, you're starting to get things like, yeah, we might not need three years of your P&Ls. Yeah, we might not need to dig so hard into your company in order, in order to guarantee you or in order to uh, approve you for the lending that you're looking for. Why? Because you're legitimate. You know how to handle money. And you're basically a risk-free investment. What we give you, you're going to make more with. Well, you kind of look at it this way. If you're getting into the entrepreneurial sphere and you want to mm -hmm. get into that and you have a, you know, all entrepreneurs usually start out being a technical expert in, in their field. And then they mm -hmm. get to the entrepreneur side, which is vision. And then the managerial is, you know, the mechanics. Mm -hmm. But if you see something and you got the vision, you're like, there it is. Right. I want this. And you don't have the credit line. That promise land looks oh so tempting, but then you either but have oh, to leverage so your person or so far. So you either got to leverage your personal side, or you got to yep. put put it all on the back burner. You got to figure something out. And if you're a good entrepreneur, you're figuring something out because you just don't say no, and there's no quit in you. And if you can do that, that's awesome. The whole point of an entrepreneur is that you are a perpetual student, not just of your craft, but of business in general. You know, I love to use the example of the fellow who started Walmart. What the heck is his name? Sam Walton. Yeah, Sam Walton. patriarch, yeah. So Sam Walton understood business credit. And he understood it in such a way that he grew exponentially. Well, how did he grow? Well, that's easy. Inventory is a huge expense of any store. Your cash is on your shelves. You can't, you, you can't go anywhere else and pay for it. It is wrapped up there. Well, how do you, how, how do you free yourself up from that? Easy. Getting yourself to the point where the bank is willing to take on the liability of your inventory. It's not about debt. That's cash on the shelves. That's cash from the bank. He can start a store and he'll have the bank give him the biggest investment that he needs, which is his inventory. Now his cash flow is freed up. His cash reserves, his assets are ready to go start another store. 
That's how you go from one to 10 to 100 to 10,000. Okay. By shifting so, that liability. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm not Sam Walton, and I want to kind of start wrapping up as we're reaching the end of the hour. Sure. There's a lot of philosophy, a lot of mechanics, and and this is how this one dude became a billionaire. So what's a something small or as Cynthia would have on when she's here for the segment, a pearl of wisdom, something you can that is tangible that you can start today to start building your business credit? Or would it be if there one thing you could think to reframe the mind and maybe one mm-hmm. mechanical thing somebody could do right away sure. in their control? Let's put those two things together and we'll start wrapping things up. Absolutely. I would say from the philosophy side, I'll take one of my favorite quotes. It is a higher compliment to be trusted than to be loved. Cool. Because you can love someone, but you might not trust them with your wallet. If there's one thing that I could tell people to start today, it's start looking at your company as its own individual and start seeing how you can separate yourself from that individual so that the company works for you, whether you're eating, sleeping, or going on vacation. I like that. I like vacations. Yeah. Hey, so with, if I could make money sipping my ties on the beach, I'd do it. Well, that's another topic for another day. I do have that established But that's what well. you're building. Yes. That's your business is supposed to be your passive income source. Work it's to replace yourselves. If you're systems. irrelevant to the company you know, you've done it. You're there, man. Congratulations. With that in mind, if you did miss some of the show today, you can listen to the replay on Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time on WVLP 103.1 FM or live stream us at WVLP.org and restore the past shows on my website at mondocrm.com forward slash podcast. Or you can listen to your to the podcast on your favorite app at any time or listed on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify tune in iheart radio amazon music and podbean just search for me mark mondo and the show will come up and you you can subscribe to the show for the latest updates and the show is now on youtube just search for mondo crm or getting down to business with mark mondo on youtube and the episodes will come up on the youtube feed So thank you very much for spending time with us today, and we look forward to you joining us again next week.